Die Broncos Defense is not really that great. So right now I like the look of the over at 47. I think there's a lot of upside with Trevor Lawrence in the second year, a, a real coach this time, some more weapons. Broncos offense, I expect to be very good next year. So right now I would look at that over at 47. Welcome to Props and Hops, a podcast pursuing the best in betting and beer. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and today we're getting the best of both worlds with the return of NFL better and German beer enthusiast Fabian Summer, a.k.a. Suma. Suma, welcome back to Props and Hops. Hey, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me back. I think this is my third, third appearance on your podcast. Always love to be here and yeah, can't wait to talk some football with you. Likewise, always love having you on, and it is indeed your third appearance. Um, we got into some good background uh, with you in your debut about this time last year. That was episode number 46 in the feed, if anybody wants to check that out. We also had you on the Thanksgiving episode looking into NFL Week 12 this past season. So uh, just looking back in the past six months since then, how's life been treating you? Oh, I cannot argue about anything, to be honest. Um... In Germany, summer is just getting started. We are approaching like the mid-20s uh, degrees Celsius over here. So um, everyone is healthy. Um, everything is uh, working out well. I cannot argue at all. So everything's fine over here. To be honest, I already feel like I need football back. So the, the NFL draft was a great taste uh, one and a half weeks ago. But um, now there's... Already like, I don't know, four months until the NFL season starts. So it's going to be a long summer. Yeah, I was going to say, if you have no complaints about what's going on in general with the weather and, and everything in Germany right now, you probably also can't complain much about the NFL draft as a Jets fan. Um, a lot of people just blowing <laughs> in the aftermath. I know the impact over the years to be determined, but adding pieces in the draft like Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Jermaine Johnson, how would you describe your level of excitement looking forward at the near-term horizon for the New York Jets? So my excitement is pretty limited, to be honest. Um, Matt, I, I don't know whether you followed Jets Twitter closely over the past 10 days, but that was a wild, wild place. Um, so first of all, there were some raving reviews about the Jets draft. Um um, a colleague from Germany, René Buchner, he is the guy who every year compiles all the NFL draft grades into a big table. And then you can get an average for, for every draft class. And I think the Jets finished first or second. So they got a lot of great grades. Um, but there were some people who rightfully, in my opinion, and I will explain why, said that they didn't want to overrate the Jets draft and think it was like just an average one or above average one. And Jets fans were going nuts like for 10 days straight now. Um, to be honest, the Jets fell into the 10th pick because the Seattle Seahawks thought they 
could easily trade two second, uh, two first round picks for Jamal Adams. Um, so the Jets went into this draft with the fourth and the tenth of all pick. And I mean, the only thing they had to do with those two picks was not to screw it up. Um, for weeks, uh, people and uh, Jets beat reporters were debating that it's going to be a offensive tackle, a wide receiver, a, a defensive end, or a cornerback. So any combination, two out of those four positions were pretty much in the mix the whole time. And there were a couple of, let's say, blue chip players, even though it was a consensus um, or not a very top-heavy class by con by consensus. So let's say there were like 15 to 20 good players and the Jets with their picks 4 and 10 were expected to uh, draft two good players. So they went Sauce Gardner at 4. Okay, I like it. And they went Garrett Wilson, uh, the second wide receiver of the board at 10. I mean, there was not really anything to screw it up. They, they just had two great, uh, very high picks and they took two players that were um, weighted very highly by the draft consensus. Okay, there's just nothing to worry about. They just did that job. And then um, the, the real craziness, in my opinion, starts. I mean, Jermaine Johnson had a draft over under of like nine and a half, I think. Um, and there were some reports like from a Jets beat reporter, Connor Hutches, that the Jets are very high on Jermaine Johnson. He's very high on their board. They were even considering uh, him, him at uh, pick four, but they would uh, strongly consider him at pick 10. They, the Jets had a big need at edge rusher, so that made a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden, Jermaine Johnson, with an over-under of nine and a half, um, in a betting market that is usually very sharp when it comes to, to to draft props so jermaine johnson fell down the board he fell he fell he fell he fell down the whole draft board and then the jets traded up into the first round to get him at i think 27th or 26th so and then all of a sudden every jets fan said oh that's the steal of the draft but based on all the research based on everything we know about the draft, there aren't such steals. Steals don't really happen a lot. Um, every time a, a player that was um, ranked very highly on the consensus draft board, when such a player falls, there's usually a reason for it. And this time, 25 or 24 teams skipped Jermaine Johnson. So there has to be a reason for it, why that guy um, slipped uh, down, down the first round, even though he was touted as like a borderline top 10 player the Jets traded up drafted him okay so usually trading up in the draft is not the smartest thing to do that's also something something that we know so the Jets gave up draft capital to draft a player that was skipped by 25 teams in the first round let's see how that shapes out but it's I would not call it a major steal when like the entire market of NFL teams and NFL front offices skips that guy. And then, <laughs> I mean, we don't need, I mean, I could talk an hour about why teams should not draft running backs in the first round, why they should not uh, spend high draft capital on running backs. The Jets drafted Brees Hall at the top of the second round. I mean, first of all, everything we know is don't use so much draft capital on a running back. It's it's really not a plus EV decision. But the Jets tried to trade into the first round for Brees Hall. And I think that is a major red flag in my opinion. I mean, ju just for comparison's sake, 
the Bills, one of the smartest organizations in the in the league right now, AFC contender, they came out and said Kair Alam, the cornerback they they traded up to, uh, two spots for, he was the last uh, guy where they had a first one grade on, the last guy, and a team like the Jets, one of the worst teams in in the league, trades up into the or wants to trade up into the first round for a running back. I mean, this should tell you everything you need to know about those two teams, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, when the Jets are good next year, I mean, Brees Hall could be a great running back. He could have a Hall of Fame career. He could make the All-Pro team ne next season. But when Brees Hall is going to be good, that doesn't tell, tell us that the Jets are going to be good. The Jets will be good if uh, Zach Wilson has a big second year. It doesn't matter how good Brees Hall is going to be. So, yeah, um, I just don't get how, how a team can spend so much resources on, on a position that has very little value at that spot in the draft. And also the Jets, they had so many holes on the roster. They had so much stuff to clean up. And I don't think you are in a position where you just can spend more draft capital to, to draft a running back very high. Especially when you draft a running back like Michael Carter in the fourth round the year before, who had like 980 scrimmage yards in a part-time role. I mean, and also the Jets are running a Kyle Shanahan-esque scheme where everyone in the, in the league or everyone or every casual fan knows you don't need a highly priced running back to make the scheme work. So those were that were some mind-boggling mind -boggling draft pick for me. And uh, if, if you consider that the Jets had picks four and ten, didn't screw it up, then drafted a guy that for that fell down um, like everyone's draft board, and then they tried to trade up for Brees Hall into the first round. I'm struggling to give an A plus for the draft, to be honest. I think that's probably about a seven or eight minute just dumping of cold water on a lot of over exuberant <laughs> Jets fans right now. But I appreciate the nuance you got into because it's so easy after the draft for people just to, you know, grade every pick and make these bold proclamations. But in reality, it's probably going to be a few years before we know how this really panned out. And I, I like your approach of not just looking at, you know, who they pick, but trying to decipher what you can about the process. I would not have guessed that this podcast would have gone that Jets heavy off the top. <laughs> um, but that said, I think that, again, the space could use, you know, more measured recaps from fans of teams who know what they're talking about when it comes to rating in some of the excitement in the aftermath of the draft. Uh, that said, as we look to move on from just the Jets and look at the rest of the league, I know the NFL schedule is slated to release the day of this podcast's drop. We are recording a little bit before then. And at this stage, we know nine games on the schedule. As again, we record this the afternoon of Tuesday, May 10th Pacific time. So I thought it would be a great exercise to maybe just rapid fire run through some of the games that we know are on the slate. Um, some of them, if you've got interesting talking points, let's dig in. Others, you know, we can just pass if there's no interest. Starting with week two, the first game that we know is on the board, Amazon's Thursday night football debut my Chargers traveling to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Kansas City minus three, total 52 and a half. Suma, any initial thoughts on that line between the Chargers and Chiefs at Arrowhead? My initial thought is that uh, just right out of my head, I, I would have said Chiefs minus three is a very good line. Um, 
the total will be very interesting uh, come come kickoff of, of the season because um, last year we had a another dip in league-wide scoring um, from the year before. I mean, in the um, COVID season 2020, we had like that crazy spike in, in league-wide scoring where you also have to adjust all your handicapping and modeling towards because when the league average is going is going higher for whatever reason, whether that's um, referee bias on certain um, flags and penalties and stuff like that. Um, you have to adjust all, all, all your handicapping process. And this season, it will be interesting uh, what projections close to the season are because Chargers Chiefs in the low 50s, um, that might be a tad too low when it's all said and done. All right, so a total to keep an eye on in the month leading up to kickoff. And then bookending the other side of week two, a Monday Night Football doubleheader. First up, Tennessee at Buffalo. No total yet as far as I can see, but the Bills laying a touchdown. Any thoughts on Buffalo? Minus seven at home to Tennessee. That that number also makes sense. I mean, there's a, there's a realistic chance that the Titans completely suck next year um, because... Traylon Burks is like their number one receiving option. And there were several scouts that had some concerns regarding his uh, route running ability and, and separation ability. Um, so there might be, in my opinion, a realistic chance that even with Ryan Tannehill under center, this offense is going, going, to, going to be sucking completely. Their offensive line is not great at all. They have like two, two good players left in Ben Jones and Taylor Levin. The, the other three spots are uh, not really good uh, in, in my head rankings right now. So th there's a chance that the Titans are not going to be uh, a, a good team. And if that's the case, I mean, uh, <laughs> this game could be over at halftime. I think that's that's something that uh, Rob tweeted out um, two days before or yesterday or something like that. And uh, I had to laugh a, bit, a little bit, but uh, yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. Uh, that could be some of those games. Yeah, it feels like early in the season, buying the Bills would probably be buying at a bit of a premium. But the same could be said of the Titans after they were the number one seed last season. Um, so if the Titans stock is perhaps too high, uh, it might be a short window to get in play against them accordingly. So something to look out for the Bills. I'll say if that line trickles up a bit and people share your sentiment and Rob's, if the Bills end up in teaser territory, that could be a really appealing oh, look yeah. for the week two slate. And another game currently sitting in teaser territory, Minnesota at Philadelphia, the second game of that week two Monday night doubleheader. Eagles currently laying two or two and a half, depending on where you shop. Any thoughts on that line? I don't have any major thoughts on the Vikings yet because there's so much uh, so much uh, uncertainty right now with their coaching staff. That's something where I really have to dig in uh, later in my um, uh, off-season work and off-season preparation for the season. But right now, when I look at that matchup, um, I really like the advantage for the Eagles in the trenches uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, great defensive line against a not-so-good offensive line of Minnesota. And on the other side, even though the Vikings have boosted their pass rush in the offseason, uh, the Eagles are presenting one of the best offensive lines in football. So that could be a game that's ultimately uh, decided in the trenches. All right, and moving on from week two, we've got a handful of games on the international slate that we can run through here. Starting October 2nd, that's week four, if I'm doing my calendar math correctly here, Minnesota against New Orleans and London. I'm seeing anything from Vikings minus one to Saints minus one. 
total 46 and a half. Any initial thoughts, side or total? Another interesting team, uh, the Saints, where they have a lot of uncertainty and a, I would say, a wide range of outcomes because I think James Winston finished the season like in second in EPA per play among all qualifying quarterbacks last year before going down with an ACL. A new coaching staff, no Peyton, uh, no Sean Payton this year. So we don't know how everything is going to shake out for the Saints. But even though they completely destroyed their whole draft value, uh, let's say the whole draft value that they had in their pocket by uh, trading so much capital for, for Chris Olavi, I think there's actually a chance for a lot of upside with this team because if Jamie's Winston can be a, let's say, solid above average quarterback that doesn't throw 30 interceptions, um, this could be a sneaky uh, above average offense. And on the other side, I mean, the team is pretty good on defense on paper, at least with Tyron Matthew, Marcus May at safety, decent cornerback group, um, very good defensive line. So that doesn't look like a great matchup for the Vikings um, if the Saints are indeed um, solid on offense. What's the number currently? Anywhere from Vikings minus one to Saints minus one, kind of ping-ponging within a point of pick'em. I think I, I would say right now that the Saints should probably be favored. Got it. Okay, well, the Saints, you touched on a lot of people kind of panning all they gave up to get Chris Olave. But if they're in win-now mode right now, the big picture, you know, the long-term, not as important if we're looking at early in the season trying to extract value from them in one game and as we look to the next game on the international slate it involves a team that probably would kill to have a guy like chris olave right now that would be the green bay packers taking on the giants week five october 9th also in london currently the packers laying anywhere from six to six and a half total 45 and a half uh suma how does that opening line sound to you it sounds pretty solid um two teams where we don't really have a great grasp as of now we, are, we don't know how the Packers offense is going to shake out with the let's say shake up on along the offensive line with two guys coming or with their two best guys coming off ACL no Davante Adams um, a, a couple of young guys there in their receiving corp uh, they, they might even be looking a little bit more towards the run game and then on the other side the Giants I mean that could be the biggest delta in terms of coaching improvement that we have seen in recent years, going from like uh, George Judge and uh, Jason Garrett uh, to Brian Dable. Um, I'm not very high on Daniel Jones. I think after three seasons, he, has, he hasn't really shown us a lot. Um, but I'm, I'm very excited about um, how the Giants offense is going to play next year. But right now, not a strong, not any opinion on the side or total whatsoever. Fair enough. Let's fast forward a few weeks. Week 8, October 30th, rounding out the London slate, Denver versus London's de facto home team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Broncos laying 6.5 to 7 in this one. That could be a key half point, so shop accordingly. Total 47. Any thoughts on Broncos, Jags playing, you know, again, in London, but really with the Jags going there every year, maybe about as much home field advantage as we'll see in this year's international slate. Yeah, I think the Broncos defense is not really that great. So right now I like the look of the over at 47 because there is um, upside with the Jaguars offense. I mean, next year, 
even though I don't like a lot of a lot of the moves moves that they have made. I think there's a lot of upside with Trevor Lawrence in the second year, a, a real um, coach this time, some more weapons, um, Broncos offense. I expect to be very good next year. So right now I'm, I would look at that um, over at 47. All right. Another total to look at to possibly go over uh, similar vibes to, I think the takeaway from that chargers chiefs game in week two but if we look ahead to the big one, especially for your aspirations on the international slate, November 13th, week 10, the NFL's first ever game in Munich, uh, first game in Germany for that matter, going to be played in Munich between the Seahawks and Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Before we dig into the game, Zuma, the big question, are you going to be planning to attend this one in person? Um, I might be playing too, but I'm not sure whether I will get tickets, to be honest, um, because I don't know who said that, but I've heard that that could have been just a rumor, but I've heard that in the first week, the NFL got like 150,000 ticket requests for that game. So I think there's really an, a, there's a chance that there might be several hundred thousand people trying to attend that game. And I'm not sure whether you are going to get some tickets for it. <laughs> well, all right. Maybe it depends on how well the betting results treat you the first half of the season to see if the bankroll will allow you to splurge on that kind of trip. As we look at the matchup, uh, early lines favor the Bucks in the range of, I'm seeing minus nine. I'm also seeing minus 10. So a bit of a delta there. Total 46 and a half. What do you think about the matchup itself between the Seahawks and the Bucks? Oh, to be honest, I would not be shocked if when we saw like a, a even higher line when it comes to, to November, um, considering everyone on the Bucks, or let's say at least the key players like Tom Brady stay healthy because I think the Seahawks could really be, or could arguably be a bottom three team next year. I don't like anything about them. And that matchup looks like a boys versus man, to be honest. All right. I think I can see which way you're leaning there. Yeah, I was hoping to, again, get the Bucks maybe in the range of eight and a half to possibly tease them down, but that's not going to happen. Looks like if somebody wants to back Tampa Bay, probably just going to have to lay a little bit of lumber, but we'll see what happens in the next few months. Again, to your point, minus nine or minus 10 might actually look cheap come November. Um, we've got a game with a much tighter spread happening internationally in November as well, rounding out this year's international slate. Week 11, November 21st, the Niners taking on the Cardinals in Mexico City. San Francisco currently laying anywhere from one and a half to two and a half, total of 48. And I wonder if this handicap doesn't kind of start and end with what to expect from the Niners at quarterback this coming season. Can you tell me who's going to start? <laughs> <laughs> if I could tell you, then I would probably have a lot of uh, good closing line value come the early weeks of the season uh, once we know what to expect. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty wild that there are some reports that the Niners are very disappointed with, with Trey Lance after those raving reports out of training camp. So I, I just don't know what to expect there, whether Jimmy Garoppolo is going to play in week one, whether whether it's Trey Lance, the team next year. Um, I'm not pretty high on the Arizona Cardinals as of now, so uh, not really any opinion on that one yet. <laughs> One more to run by you, bringing things back stateside. The Christmas Day triple header happening for the first time. That'll be week 16. The second game is known. Denver at the Rams. Rams currently laying anywhere from a flat two and a half to a reduced big minus three. 
I'm seeing some at Rams minus three, minus 105 floating around. That's a pretty key half point there. Um, any, any lean either way on this Christmas Day, second game of the triple header between the Broncos and the Rams. So it's uh, Rams minus three, minus oh five, right? Yes. Perfect line, in my opinion. So if, if you asked me, I would have said um, and I would open it uh, as a Rams minus three at this point in time and see what happens. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And Suma, before we move on from the games that we already know are taking place this season, Christmas triple header, going to be a little bit tricky for you to follow from Germany, as I understand. Uh, why don't you peel back the curtain on your reaction to the NFL's first time playing back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back games on Christmas Day? Yeah, so uh, Christmas Day is not the, the issue, to be honest. The issue is the is the um, holy evening, uh, because um, um, I didn't know it until today, but the NFL is planning to do like the NFL Sunday slates on Saturday when it's holy evening and um, in Germany, that's uh, the, the big start of the, of the Christmas days where you are doing a lot with your family. So um, I will have some sort of conflict there <laughs> on that day when, when it's like 7 p.m. in the evening, uh, we are going to have dinner and uh, then I have to watch um, six to seven NFL games somehow. <laughs> Yeah, you and I will both be trying to juggle a bit on Christmas. I think my wife and I will be repeating our plan from this past Christmas. We went to Yosemite and had the best time. Um, I remember on Christmas Eve, if I'm recalling it correctly, and Christmas Day, there were some games, but there was no triple header. Um, so it wasn't like I was ever missing out on too much. And Christmas Day, you know, it was just a, a perfect, you know, overnight snowfall. We did some sledding. We went into the national park and, and just had an incredible time. And then we went back to the hotel um, and had a, a really nice, you know, Christmas dinner. And being away from screens was glorious in that window. So <laughs> if it comes to shove, I, I might just have to catch up on these after the fact as well. But at the same time, it's cool that the NFL is doing this. I'm sure the NBA might not think it's so cool because traditionally the <laughs> NBA is on Christmas in the United States. Uh, but yeah, you and I will both have to plan accordingly before this triple header takes place. Maybe a little bit of that plan also going to be dictated by the matchups we get in the first and third games of that yes. triple header. I feel like the NFL is probably not going to hold back when it comes to trying to give marquee matchups to boost ratings for their first time doing something like this. Yeah. And as we shift gears a bit from the games we already know are on the schedule to a few teams uh, with unique wrinkles as we want to look at them in the earlier part of the season, I'd like to touch base with you on the Arizona Cardinals. Um, again, we talked about them playing the Niners in Mexico City in November. But before then, the first six weeks of the season, they won't have DeAndre Hopkins at their disposal. He has been suspended due to PED violations. So what's your thought as to, A, what Hopkins means to the spread for a Cardinals game, and B, how his suspension might be affecting your outlook on Arizona for the early part of the season relative to, let's say, weeks seven onward? Yeah, so I think DeAndre Hopkins matters a lot for the team. Uh, first of all, he's a, he's a great player. But he has also been the guy on the field, like like, like the true X receiver that also uh, dictates a lot of what defenses are playing at the back end. And as soon as you went um, down the field in recent years, you you saw that the Cardinals' offense is kind of struggling. They just didn't have a great plan anymore. I mean, they had 
the uh, one or two games without Calamari and the Andrew Hopkins where they won against the Seahawks and some some other game. But um, Calamari without Andrew Hopkins, that didn't really look great. And I think also in, in terms of EPA per play on and off the field, there was a drastic split uh, between Hopkins being on the field and uh, him not playing. So um, I don't think that Marquise Brown is going to step up and replace him one-on-one. So I think indeed that's that's a downgrade for the Cardinals. After three three years of Cliff Kingsbury, if you ask me, I'm not completely sold out yet, to be honest. Um, and on the defensive side, they lost Chandler Jones. They don't have a great cornerback group. Um, I not really, really that high on the team right now, to be honest. And I think uh, the, the first six games um, could be kind of a struggle for them if they cannot figure out things on offense. It seems like for the past couple of years, the NFC West has been arguably the division without a weak link uh, across the whole league, probably the best in terms of you know the floor. And based on what you said about Seattle a few minutes ago and now about Arizona, we might be starting to see a bit of a chasm between the haves and the have-nots in the NFC West. Maybe the AFC West is going to be that new division without a weak link and a team that's going to have to compete with that a lot, not in the division, but in the same conference. We're hearing a lot of noise right now about the Cleveland Browns and a lot of speculation about Deshaun Watson. You know, will he be suspended? If so, for how long? I think right now Cleveland is somewhere around the 10th best odds to win the Super Bowl. A lot of people might think the Browns are a better team than, you know, number 10 when they've got Watson in there at full strength with the rest of that roster. So with everything circulating around Cleveland right now, how would you describe your outlook for them this coming season and perhaps any gap between how you might look to bet on or against them early uh, versus later on this coming season? Yeah, so let's let's um, say that Deshaun Watson is not going to get suspended and he's going to play 16 or 17 games. Um, I mean... I really like Deshaun Watson. I think he's like easily a top eight quarterback in this league. But outside of Amari Cooper, there aren't really great receiving options. Um, they they lost their starting center, JC Tretter, who is um, still a free agent for whatever reason. I don't know why why there aren't any teams that are scooping him up. Um, it's also a, a new scheme for the short Watson. I don't think this should be any issue because, like I said, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the game and uh, that should be an, an, an easy, easy transmission for him. But there are also some concerns on the defensive side. They traded away Troy Hill. They don't have any great pass rusher outs, um, opposite of um, Miles Garrett. Uh, defensive tackle group might be the worst in the AFC. So um, I can really see why they are not... Um, rated um, at the top of the AFC uh, in, in the betting markets right now because I would have a hard time installing them as a pick him or favorites against the likes of Kansas City, Buffalo, um, Denver, the Chargers, um, and the Jets. what team? Did, <laughs> the, the Jets, for, for example. <laughs> yeah, so I think we, we can make a case that, that the Browns are only like the sixth best team in the AFC or something. And um, from, from that point of view, I can totally understand why they are only the 10th best team in the Super Bowl betting market uh, when you also consider the, or let's say, some of the uncertainty around uh, Deshaun Watson. 
So if people are listening to this conversation and they haven't picked up on it yet, I mean, we're talking about the NFL in this level of detail in early May. The NFL <laughs> is your singular focus. And I'm wondering to that end, you've probably got a nice head start on a lot of the betting market. How would you describe the state of your preparation to this point for the 2022 season? Uh, yeah, so um, until late April, I was only uh, doing some NFL draft stuff. Um, and after the after the draft uh, last week, um, to be exact, um, I started uh, doing some NFL preparation, getting my, my R version updated, um, installing a newer version of our studio, and um, really started uh, digging into coding again because when you don't code for like three, four, five months, uh, you are a little bit rusty. And I'm just um, slowly getting started doing some research, testing some hypotheses, working on some modeling. And um, then I would say when it comes to mid-late June, I, I will uh, really start to dig into each team in detail and uh, study depth charts and uh, stuff like that. Sounds like a lot of commitment to the craft. I know you have a bit of a, a blueprint ahead, as you just outlined, but are there any angles that have come to light so far, whether it's any teams, regular season win markets, futures markets, anything you've started to keep a close eye on or anything that's come up on your radar as you've really dug in since the draft wrapped up? Um, not, not really, to be honest. Um, I'm not really involved too much in win totals this year. Um, last year... <laughs> I really had a terrible year when it comes to win totals, and I thought um, that might not be worth uh, locking up credit or money for nine months. So I have not done any um, work on win totals so far. <laughs> yeah, as you touch on the rough go last season with win totals, I know, especially the Steelers, I was, I think, already on the fence out there under, and then we connected, and it pushed me over the edge. And I, I think the process seems pretty sound. I, I might have a blind spot with Mike Tomlin. There are some things that he's doing beyond questionable in-game decisions that otherwise seem to be maximizing every ounce he can get out of that group of guys, even if the talent doesn't seem all that imposing. Um, so I am with you. I'm looking to maybe throttle it back a little bit in the regular season win total market this coming season. And as you mentioned, you know, how the regular season win market fared for you in 2021, I wonder if there might be a bit of a connection to the topic we can get into next of buying and selling picks. Um, I'll say right off the bat, you gave great insight into this topic as polarizing as it can be the first time we had you on again, just about this time last year, episode 46 in the feed, if anybody wants to check that out. And then I saw that you tweeted on March 31st that you would not be opening your Slack channel or selling picks this coming season, instead focusing on betting with partners so I'd love it if we could pause for a second and get an overview from you on how you've gone about selling picks for the last few seasons and why you've decided to stop for 2022. Yeah, so um, let me start up front uh, with why I stopped. Um, I have reached a point of conflict. Um, so basically the, the, the balance um, between betting and my um, releases to all paying customers was kind of hurt. Um, when I started selling picks, uh, I think it was back in 2017, I was only betting for myself and um, I, I didn't uh, back that, uh, bet that big. So it, it was easy to, to play some bets, get the release out and, and that's it. Then um, I, I got into the trouble of um, some offshores moving their markets based on my action. Then I had to find new ways to get down and stuff like that. And um, 
over the past few years, um, there were several people who approached me who took notice of my work, um, especially because of closing, closing line value on, on my tracking of it, which was a major part. Um, and they offered me some betting collaborations, like giving me a, some form of a free roll for getting my picks before the release, because my release um, have been consistently moving the markets for the past two or three years. And um, yeah, those were some good collaborations. I worked with, with different guys. Um, I was able to, to basically scale, scale the, the uh, betting part of it in, in recent years. Um, but I've reached a point where getting down quietly has become tougher and tougher. I've been working together with a group for uh, one or two uh, years now. And what we basically did in the past was we get down on my bets quietly because um, I, I have paying customers that want to get the, the best of the number. So I cannot bet anything uh, offshore um, on the screen that, that mo moves the market in any way or shape because uh, then everyone would say, hey, he's betting that stuff on screen and we are getting like a half point of um, uh, uh, worse value or something like that. So uh, you cannot bet offshore. You're really, um, let's say, at some point kind of limited in what you're doing because uh, you cannot touch the screen. And that has become an, a, a major issue uh, the last season up to the point where the guys uh, who I've uh, been working with and continue to work with said, hey, how about um, you stop doing the Slack stuff and only work for us? Um, that's um, better fi financially for, for both sides, a lot more upside on the betting side. And yeah, um, I basically said yes. And um, yeah, here we are. And I will not uh, sell picks um, this season or going forward. That's understandable. Everything you just outlined, ultimately, when it comes down to the financial equation, uh, makes sense. I also want to acknowledge that last season, as I understand it, your results were fairly uneven relative to the past. And to be fair, you have a track record going back years of outstanding closing line value and generally a really strong ROI to go with that closing line value. But with last season being a little bit more uneven than I think the past few seasons had been for you, how big of, of a factor were the results from 2021 as well in shaping this decision? That was not a, a major factor at all. Uh, in fact, I think I had the best closing line value of the past five years, uh, but uh, the, the worst ROI on, on all my Slack releases. So it was kind of a, a weird season, but that didn't really play into my decision at all. Fair enough. I think of, uh, perhaps because I'm, I'm reading right now a book called Meditations by uh, Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius. It was more of a diary that he didn't have any vision of becoming a book, but there's so much wisdom in there. Short and easy read if anybody's interested. But there's one line that resonated with me recently. If you seek tranquility, do less. And this equation might just be a way for you to do less and do it at a higher level. Yes, yes, exactly. I, I think in the end, it it might um, be um, pr preferable because I can maybe focus even more on the betting side. I, I don't have to take care of the Slack channel and uh, I can basically spend more time um, betting, modeling and stuff like that. So maybe um, from that point of view, it uh, might be a 
um, a blessing, uh, but we will see what happens. Yeah, look forward to seeing how things unfold. And to wrap up this topic, I feel like in fairness to people, you know, considering the pros and cons of buying or selling picks, any up and coming betters out there, uh, if I look at this from the standpoint of a potential pick buyer, some of the possible pros would be one aspect you almost always get would be some entertainment value without putting in the work yourself. Um, I think it's fair to question the entertainment value possibly bleeding the bankroll if you're not buying picks from the right person. But almost always you'll get some sort of entertainment value if you want some action and want, want a game to sweat without having to roll up your sleeves and do the work yourself. Also, something that sometimes comes with pick buying would be a community. You mentioned a Slack channel. Other people are also using things like Discord these days. And that can open doors to networking or, if nothing else, just getting some more nuance to go with the picks. So it's not just saying the bet to make, but it's coming with information that can perhaps teach some people how to fish while also trying to give them fish. So sometimes that's on the table as well. And then I think the big thing everybody's going for that almost never comes to fruition, but it's not impossible. And you prove that over the course of several years would be buying picks to generate a better ROI personally. Um, again, I, I think those opportunities in reality are few and far between. So don't hold your breath if that's why you're buying picks, but you know, it's on the table if you're really, you know, buying smartly from the right person and managing your bankroll properly. So a, a few of those factors being possible pros in the equation. And if I think about cons, um, you know, you, other people that I've had on the show that sell picks have been transparent to acknowledge the space overall still seems to be littered with bad actors. So people just need to be vigilant. And that's where I feel comfortable giving a shout out to a platform like Betstamp, which is run by yes. friends of the show, Rob Pizzola, uh, Johnny with Betstamp, as well as Julian Packer, you know, really creating an environment where there's transparency around how people are selling picks. So if you're looking to buy, uh, you know, that's that stamp is a great resource to understand what you're really signing yourself up for. And when you know what you're signing up for, another issue can often be getting the same number as the person selling the yes. picks because odds are that person has other clients. And if they know what they're doing, they can have market influence. You've run into that at times. A lot of people have. Um, so it can become a bit of a rat race. Sometimes buying picks amounts to paying extra vig on the bets that you might have already been making anyway. So overall, zooming out, I'd say in most cases, it's probably not worthwhile to do it. Yep. That said, if you're going to do it, uh, be selective and be careful if you choose to do so. Does that seem like a fair summary, Zuma, of the pros and cons of somebody looking to possibly buy picks? Yes, absolutely. I would just add um, a platform like Badstamp offers opportunities to do your due diligence. You don't have to trust uh, some, some random Twitter records. Uh, you can actually go into the, the Betstamp profile, check the bet history of, of the past four to five uh, months or whatever, and really check, is this guy beating the market? Is is this guy good, uh, etc. And then you can make a decision for yourself. But um, like you said, uh, there are many bad actors. I think uh, probably like 97% um, of pick sellers are frauds. And, um, but if you do your due do diligence, uh, you have a good network, you get some good recommendations. I think there are also a few great opportunities to uh, either get uh, entertainment value or um, actually improve your ROI from, from betting. Yeah, I like the way you framed it with maybe 97% or so not being so worthwhile. I like to come at this topic with a clear and pretty firm point of view and at the same time not think in absolutes because, uh, you know, almost any angle in, in the betting space has some potential upside. Uh, sometimes you just have to be 
more vigilant and really know what you're doing. And one factor here that I want to hopefully uh, give people a chance to put their minds at ease, um, you've been you know, leading a Slack channel, not just giving picks, but, but really sharing a lot of information that people have found valuable. So with this decision to no longer sell picks, is that going to have any impact on your media presence when it comes to things like write-ups that you've done in years past and podcast appearances and other things like that? Um, I would love to do uh, podcasts in, in, in the future. Um, I'm not very um, disappointed about not doing the write-ups anymore because that, that was, was also a time factor, but I still like to, to produce content. And for and foremost, I love to talk about football. I love to talk about my bets, the, the, the thought process behind it, what got me into making that specific bet. And um, I hope there will be some cool platforms to uh, still do some uh, media appearances uh, next season because that's uh, still something that I absolutely love to do. And um, I love to be in touch with uh, people. I don't think I could be sitting in front of my own screen for seven days and uh, not uh, talk any um, betting or NFL uh, in the public. Music to my ears, and I'm sure plenty of others, just because you won't be selling picks doesn't mean that you're going to go into hiding. So a lot of the information that you've been providing over the years in a more public forum, probably still going to be on the table this coming season. And you touched on your joy of sharing the thought process behind a lot of this. And I think that came through really recently when I created a Twitter thread. I was pleasantly surprised by the traction it got basically asking one thing people wish they knew when they started betting and sharing a thought of my own. And you chimed in there and you mentioned that one thing you wish you knew when you started betting was to respect the market and understand what closing line value is. Now I'll say that's borderline two things, but I will allow it for the purposes of this conversation. Wondering if you could elaborate on that thought for any up and coming bettors listening to this conversation. Yeah, so uh, respecting the market and um, thinking about the concept of closing line value basically goes hand in hand. Um, so when we talk about markets or, or any market out there, whether it's a crypto um, or betting markets, I mean, there's also there's always money reflected though. So there are people with some skin in the game who are placing money on their opinions. And... I think it starts with understanding the efficient market hypothesis. So the efficient market hypothesis says that um, for, for any market price of any given asset, whether it's like Bitcoin or whether it's any um, sports event, um, that for that specific market price at any given point in time, the most, or let's say, the, the market price mirrors all the available information that we have. So when we um, um, uh, focus on, on, on the betting side of things, uh, it says that at any point in time, the number that we are looking at on our screen should in theory reflect the true probability of that sports event, or let's say what the market think the true probability of that sporting uh, sports event is. And when we uh, use the NFL as an example, um, we have a, let's say market evolution from like Sunday night to uh, Sunday noon or Sunday afternoon, the next week, right around kickoff. And um, books start with very low limits, then limits get increased over the week, 
with with more uh, market information books or let's say market making books are moving their numbers and um, we are basically thinking that at, at any point in time the current market price is giving us all the information that are or that is out there and when a market closes so for an nfl game right around kickoff we we think that with the maximum of uh, possible limits we think that it's it's, it's the most efficient uh, timing point of the market and we think that it's the most efficient point of, of the market so to speak so that right at kickoff the the closing odds are represent, representing or mirroring the true probability of a game and with the true probability let's just say for um, uh, simplistic purposes that we think of a bell-shaped curve so the bell-shaped curve has a, um, a, a, a an exact point in 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 the middle and that exact point is telling us the the median outcome of a game so if the packers are minus three on tuesday morning against on, on the road against the vikings um the, the market is saying that the median expectation for this game is saying packers by three so over ten thousand simulations of that game you would expect the packers to win by three um, um, in the median outcome so let's say on tuesday morning you bet the packers minus three and then on sunday afternoon at kickoff the number has moved to minus three and a half so the bell-shaped curve the, the probability curve has shifted towards the right and you are basically gaining an extra percentage of probability to your bet and when we when we think that the, the the market at at the closing line is representing the uh, true probability of a game so the 50 50 outcome or the median expectation of that game you have basically uh, gained an extra probability on top of that 50 50 and that's your closing line value and if that closing line value is um, pretty good over a decent sample size you can be pretty sure that what you're doing is pretty good and you are making good bets consistently. Um, and that's basically the, the concept of closing, closing line value. I don't know whether um, I have explained it uh, very good or not, um, but it, it, it's, uh, it's basically beating the market and getting the, the probability of, um, of the um, betting event um, with a little bit of extra percentage on your side because when you can get that extra percentage on top of the 50-50 outcome you will probably make money over the long run and when it comes to games like um, NFL I mean closing line value also has a direct impact on your ROI because um, when you uh, take a number that is minus two and a half and it closes at minus three the game lands on three you have basically gotten an extra unit of profit just because you made a better bet than what the market did at the at the closing price. Um, I think in 2017 or 2018, about 30 or 35 percent of my ROI from that season was just uh, directly from beating the closing line, where the final scoring margin fell right before, uh, right between my number my betting number and the number of, of the closing line so um yeah i think understanding that respecting the market and um respecting that there are um 
several people who place a lot of money on that. Um, and the guys who place a lot of money on that, let, let's say on Sunday mornings or, 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 or on Sunday noon, who do like several uh, five-figure, six-figure clicks um, uh, at offshores, at uh, agents, at PPHs, those guys will probably not do it if they are not surviving in the long run. And that information is um, the the way to be long-term, to be a profitable better. A lot of people probably listen to podcasts on 2x speed and just try to get through as many as they can to consume as much good information as possible. I totally get it. I'm often in that boat. But I'd encourage anybody who wants to understand the concept of closing line value to go back. Make sure you're listening to this at 1x speed probably multiple times. Suma, I think you broke that down exceptionally well. So thank you for that insight. And I think that when you're able to share information at that level, um, some of it is just probably intuitive with your own betting experience. But I also think it can bridge us to a pillar of this podcast I refer to as the Malinsky Minute, where you know the legendary sports better David Malinsky, I talk about often on this show, was also about as well read as anybody I've come across. And I think that when people consume a lot of information, whether it's directly related to betting or not, that can enable them to speak to betting more eloquently, as I think you just did with closing line value and how to respect the market. And to that end, Suma, as I was prepping for this conversation, I went back and listened to an interview you did with friend of the show, Ed Fang, on his podcast, The Football Analytics Show, leading up to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Um, so that was a few months ago. But probably my favorite part of that conversation was when you guys talked about reading for a few minutes at the end. And I feel like you mentioned half the books at the top of my personal reading list. I recall anti-fragile, super forecasting, range, think again. And that just really got me thinking. I'd love to ask you to elaborate perhaps a bit on your own personal reading routine and any recent standouts from what you've read lately. Yeah, so usually I try to read a few books uh, during the off-season. Uh, this year, for whatever for whatever reason, I didn't really came to reading yet. Um, but um, there are several books of, that I've read over, over the past uh, few year, years that really ha- helped me understanding more about sports betting. Because I think uh, in this industry uh, or in this craft, you have to learn, and you also learn every day. And you, you're trying to get um, smarter and uh, learn fr- from smarter people all the time. I think that's uh, that's been very important to me. And there are several books that, that I want to mention. Uh, the first one is Sharper from True Poker Joe. And Sharper basically says that your ability to handicap a game is almost, let's say, worthless if you don't know how to place a good bet. And um, Joe basically explains the mathematical aspects of placing the best bets uh, possible. And um, he provides the the reader with some very cool Excel examples where you can just um, uh, copy paste um, the formulas and um, do some very um, cool calculations on your own. Um, The next book I wanna mention is The Logic of Sports Betting. Um, I forgot the author's name, sorry, uh, but I think m- many that people will. Ed Miller yes. and Matthew Davidow oh, of yes, Deck Prison Miller, Sports yeah. these days. Yes, exactly. So the logic of sports betting also gives a very cool and great understanding uh, about how to place good bets. 
um, how to create your own synthetic hold, um, how to place good bets, um, understanding that you want to reduce your personal VIC as much as possible. And, and you can do it, um, for example, by line shopping, uh, bed stamp, hello, <laughs> a small plug, even though I'm not really associated with them, but bed stamp is a great platform to uh, line shop. Um, the next book is A Trading Basis from Joe Petter. And Trading Basis was the book that really got me into modeling. Um, Joe, Peter's, uh, Joe Peter approaches um, are not very new to any advanced better. Um, he basically tells the story how he beat uh, baseball back in 2010, I guess, and how he uh, built his, his model to uh, make a very good profit. But he does it in a, in a way that um, even the, let's say, newest betters that have not done a lot of Excel or coding uh, can really understand that modeling approach. And you can basically apply it to very uh, many concepts when it comes to the NFL, for example. So very cool book. Um, and the other book that really shaped the way that I think about probability was A Fooled by Randomness um, from uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Um, this book really completely changed the way I think about randomness, about probability in, in like everyday life. Um, I think it, it's a must read for everyone, but also a must read for sports bettors because you really understand how many things in life and in sports betting are just the result of pure randomness. Um, so those are a few books that I would mention right, up, right out of the gate. I love the way you connected the value in these books, not just to overall knowledge, but really finding parallels to sports betting. I mean, some of these were directly designed to cater to bettors, but you know, something like randomness applies in betting and many walks of life. And I think that's a good connection to something that I'll put in the sites here. There's a book coming soon called Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. And that's by Annie Duke, a former pro poker player, who's also the author of Thinking in Bets, and that book is on my short list of favorites. In fact, I'm lucky to have David Molinsky's personal copy of Thinking in Bets. And with a former pro poker player writing a book about knowing when to quit and walk away, I've got to think there will be some good parallels to the sunk cost fallacy. We can all fall prey to it at times, but this can be a really good way to button up that kind of decision making. And I'm especially sold when I see an endorsement on the cover of Quit from Daniel Kahneman, who's the author of my favorite book called Thinking Fast and Slow. That was also mm. a Dave Malinsky recommendation in his Point Blank column back in the day. So going to endorse Quit, even though I haven't read it yet. I can say with a high degree of confidence, it'll be well worth it. It's released, I believe, October 4th. So, um, you know, we're talking about bets to possibly tie up bankroll for a few months. Uh, I think tying up bankroll for a few months on a book like Quit might be an even more <laughs> plus EV move for the betters among us. In fact, I went ahead and pre-ordered it right before we hopped on for this conversation. So I'd say to anybody listening who's interested in learning how to make better decisions in any walk of life, and that definitely includes betting, my best bet here will be a two-team parlay, first leg, pre-order quit, and the second leg, read thinking and bets in the meantime as a prelude to quit being released. I have one more uh, that I Let's just found in my notes, uh, it's The Book of Why from Julia Pearl. 
And Julia Pearl is a scientist in the field of causal reasoning, uh, really trying to make a science out of how can we um, define causal effects. And I think causal reasoning is important in everyday life, but also in sports betting, when you are modeling, when you are trying um, even subjectively, um, is X really a cause of Y? Uh, like, uh, is, is this quarterback playing well because of that or whatever, because of the offensive line or, or because he's just good or whatever, just to make an example. And Julia Pearl really tries to answer those questions. Uh, like I said, is X really a cause of Y? Are there compounding effects? Uh, is there a mediator? And um, basically, Pearl explains how to approach those questions and how to think causal because so many times, also when it comes to modeling, we as, as humans make so many mistakes um, um, mixing up correlation with causality. Uh, just because we find some good R squared, it doesn't mean that it has any causal effect. Uh, like, um, for example, I mean, um, um, ice cream sales and uh, pizza sales or whatever uh, could have a very high correlation <laughs> just to name a very basic random example but um, they are not any uh, cause whatsoever so um, that's that's been one of the biggest issues that I had in in modeling or dealing with uh, large data sets um, early in my career when I just really didn't think too much about correlation causation. And that book really helped, helped uh, shape my thoughts about that. Well, Zuma, I could nerd out with you all day and then some <laughs> when it comes to some of these books or looking ahead to the NFL season. But sometimes just to kick back and relax and take off the edge, uh, we get a good opportunity here to weave in the other pillar of this podcast, that being the hops. So I'm wondering, since we had you on again for the first time about a year ago, if you have any noteworthy updates you can share on the beer scene in your neck of the woods in Germany and anything you've been enjoying a lot these days. Uh, Matt, really, I'm totally pissed that I didn't make notes because in the meantime, uh, we had a few American craft beers at our local grocery store. And I, it was probably like three or four different tastes or brands that, that I've taste, uh, tested um during the nfl season but i didn't make any notes uh, about the name so i'm a little bit pissed right now uh, because i absolutely would have guessed or would have bet that you know at least two of them um so next time when i see any craft beer from america uh, in uh, at the grocery store I, I will send you a picture oh that sounds great yeah i remember <laughs> the first time you came on there was a, a recent experience you had had trying stone ipa for the first time and you had gotten it shipped over, I think, from Stone's Richmond, Virginia facility on the east coast of the U.S. But Stone's original location, their headquarters, are in San Diego. And I grew up in their backyard. So it was really cool <laughs> just to see how small the world is becoming, where you're getting to try that in Germany. And that's basically uh, what I grew up on as soon as I was of legal age to partake, of course. So, yeah, I would say, if possible, uh, I think this app exists internationally at a pretty good scale. Have you ever looked into Untapped? Uh, friends of mine use it. Um, and I have one friend who uh, is also brewing his, his own beer since like two uh, or four, two years now. And he has like over thousand whatever uh, tabs in his Untapped app already. 
he's a, a big contributor to that app, uh, but I've never really used it to be honest. But that would be a great, a great uh, approach to uh, not be so um, unprepared next time on your podcast. Got it. Yeah, we'll, we'll gladly give you the hall pass this time, but if it happens <laughs> one more time, I might have to make you sign up for Untapped as we're recording. Um, but no worries. I know that you've got a, a great palate for beer as well as a great approach to the NFL and clearly was how to find books that make all walks of life better, including anything in the sports betting space. So Suma, as we go ahead and wrap this up, I just want to make sure people know where they can find you and follow what you're up to if they're not doing so already on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. And as we go ahead and wrap this up, want to let listeners know that if you've enjoyed this conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Suma, thanks for the time with us. I know it's always beer season, but I'm already <laughs> looking forward to another NFL season with your insight helping to guide the way. All right. Thanks for having me again, Matt. Can't wait to connect the next time. Sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up.